I'd like to share with you some of the words from Aleshur in his Hagdama, in his introduction to his book. He writes words that I could only hope to uh, explain properly. He says, Mehitsa Aba. He says, there is a thick wall. Mavdelet that separates Ben Olam HaTorah Le Ben HaOlam Asher Mibahutz. He's telling us here there's something called Olam HaTorah, the world of Torah. And then there is a world that's Mibahutz, that's outside. Olam Torah is not another planet. It's not a place. It's not an address. Olam Torah is a world that a person lives in wherever he is. He calls that Olam Torah. When you live in Olam Torah, your whole life is a different kind of life. Everything in your life, it's not just that you learn or you pray or you do a mitzvah here and there. Olam Torah means when a person goes to a different olam, right? It's not just one thing that changes, two things change, three things change. Everything changes. You're in a different world. Your world changed. What he's saying over here is that a person who lives in Olam Torah is very different from the Olam on the outside. So different is Olam Torah from the person who lives in the outside world that he calls it as a thick wall that divides between the two. What does he mean when he says the thick wall? What's he trying to say? There's a thick wall between those who live a life outside of the Torah and those who live in Olam Torah. What is that? What is he trying to say? What do you think? What does anybody think is a thick wall? What's what's what? What if it was a thin wall? What's if if it, if you have a wall? What difference is it if it's thin or if it's thick? They're saying it means don't think it's so easy to go in there. Meaning Olam Torah, but what they're saying. Olam Torah is not so easy to get to, to penetrate. Love that. Again, I'm going to review with you. Olam Torah doesn't mean a guy who does mitzvot. Olam Torah means you live in a different world. Everything that you do in the outside, when you do it in that world, it just feels different. Marriage, you have outside of the Torah, and you have marriage in Olam Torah. 
The marriage in Olam Torah is a different kind of marriage. You have relationships in your life with friends, with people. Outside the Torah and inside the Olam. That's, that's what's unique about this. Is that in Olam Torah, they aren't different things. They're exactly the same things that are going on outside the Olam Torah. Except that they're in a different world. So you may say, this is marriage. That's marriage. That's raising a child. Here's raising a child. That's going to work. This guy's going to work. This guy wakes up. He wakes up. This guy goes, he goes to sleep. He eats. He eats. So you're talking about people who are looking, living seemingly identical lives. That's the way Hashem made the world. That you would be able to look at somebody outside the Torah and inside the Torah and they may look like they're going through the same motions. Hashem could have made it different. He could have made it that when you jump into Olam Torah, you're in a totally different world that has nothing to do with the world outside. In that kind of world, it's not called there's a mehitza that divides. When you say a mehitza divides two places, it gives off the feeling that both places really are the same. When you have a mehitza, when you put a divider, you have a place that's all equal, and you divide between one and the other. Hashem could have made the world not a mehitza, you could have made a different building. You could have made it when you enter Olam Torah, it's totally different. You don't get married, you get married this way. You don't wake up, you wake up that way. You don't eat, you eat this way. It could have been a completely different building that has no relevance or connection to the buildings outside. Hashem didn't make it like Hashem did not make a life of Torah completely different from the life outside. Actually, they share everything in common. They're in the same building. You only need dividers when you're in the same place. When you're in a different place, you don't put dividers. You're in a different building. Dividers essentially are used to separate a place that is similar. Oh, it's the same. I put a divider. Which means that Hashem made the Olam Torah and the Olam outside the Torah exactly the same in its physical appearance. But he's saying you should know that the divide between them is very thick. First of all, divide means that they have nothing to do with each other. Even though physically they look the same. He said, you went to a wedding on Tuesday night. A wedding that was outside Olama Torah. And you went to a wedding that was inside Olama Torah. You would say, this week I went to two weddings. <laughs> two people got married. Mabrook to this one, Mabrook to that one. But they have nothing to do with each other. Although they both got married. A marriage of Olama Torah is a different Olam. It's a different world. And so too with everything. Even something as simple as having lunch. 
for someone outside the Torah and inside the Torah. It's a different kind of eating. It's a different kind of connection to what you're doing. So while the Olam HaTorah shares many attributes physically with the outside world, but there's a mechitza in between. So thick is the mechitza. Number one, the fact there's a mechitza, like David said beautifully, the fact there's a mechitza means you're not able to see on the other side. Which means you could look at a person who's living in Olam HaTorah, and you have no idea what is going on in his life. To you it appears, he's the same like you. You have a job, he has a job. You have a house, he has a house. You have children, he has children. You eat, he eats. Same. No, no, there's a mehitzah. He's telling you, you cannot see what's there. Hashem made it that way. That there would be a mehitzah. That you could look at a person who's an olama Torah with a totally different world. And you will not be able to see any of it. You'll look at the guy and you'll say, regular, just another guy. Just another home. Just another marriage. That's what you will see. You can't see anything. There's a mechitzah that blocks you from being able to see. And it's a thick mechitzah. Why is it a thick mechitzah? If it's only for visual that you can't see, you don't need to be thick. Thick or thin makes no difference for the eyes. So when it says a thick mechitzah, it's telling you not only are you not able to see what that person is living, but you are not easily going to be able to get them. The Olama Torah is not just a door that slides and you walk in. There are certain steps that need to be taken and it's going to be a thick wall to get in. He says, Ha'omet Bahutz. The one who is standing outside the Mechitzah. Af imu shomer Torah mitzvot. You could be a person who keeps Torah and mitzvot. And you could still be outside. That's already a Hidush. You could keep Torah and mitzvot. You kept 613 mitzvot. And you're still called... Outside Olama Torah. That's very interesting. He's saying someone who's outside the Olama Torah, even if he's Shomer Torah and Mitzvot, you see him every morning praying with his tefillin in Minyan. He only eats what's right. Shabbat is right. His Limuda Torah, he makes sure his Kovei team. He sets time to learn. The model Jew. Shomer Torah Umitzvot. Halevai, we should be such a person that they could call us honestly that we are Shomer Torah Umitzvot. That we live our life following the commandments of the Torah. But yet, he's telling you, you could keep Torah and Mitzvot, you could learn Torah, you can go to Bet Knesset, and you are outside the Mechitzah. 
You're not inside. He's saying that in Olam Torah, that the entrance is not necessarily because you keep Torah and mitzvot. Hidush. He says, someone who stands outside Olam Torah, listen to these words. En Lot Siyur. He has no image. Musag, Musag means he has no concept, he has no clue. Mehapele from the wonders that's going on inside. Someone outside Allah Torah has no concept. They don't know concept means. Let me tell you what no concept means. You have a person, for example, who is told about a tree that's a thousand feet high. You ever see a tree a thousand feet high? Never. Never saw such a thing. Could you imagine a tree a thousand feet high? Yes. You take the hundred foot one and you imagine that it's a thousand feet. So that's a person who hasn't seen something. He didn't see it. But he can imagine it. He's telling you this guy is not like that. Someone outside Olama Torah, not only is it that he doesn't have it himself, he can't even imagine it. It's like, I'll give you the real mashal for this. It's like trying to tell a blind person, tell him what the color blue looks like. Go try it. Tell him. He's blind. He's been blind his whole life. And you see the color blue and you're all excited. And you want to share with him the beauty of the color blue. So you start to describe to him. What would you be able to say that will get him to understand what you're talking about. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing to say. It's beyond his ability to even imagine. He's telling you someone outside Olama Torah, someone who lives outside the Torah world, which we still don't know what that is, but someone who is outside of it, not only is not in it, not only is not enjoying it, not only is not experiencing it, he can't even imagine what's going inside. It's so beyond his ability to comprehend what is going on in that world. He says, he is going to get you also, you're going to be going crazy, right? He says, Ve'esh, and it's possible. Asher, Gam Yoshev ben Kotlev ben Tamidrash. It's possible for a person to be learning in the Bet Midrash day and night. All day. He's sitting, he's learning. He's in Yeshiva. He's in Kolel. It's possible. Domen. He said it's possible. That he's still 
on the outside. That's why he calls it a thick wall. A thick wall, you can't just, you know, a thin wall by accident you can walk in there. Or with very little effort you will go in there. He says, this one is not so thin. You could be Shomer Torah Mitzvot. You could be learning Torah all day long. And you're outside the Olam Torah and you're clueless as to what's really going on there. What hope do we have? I mean, he's saying the same way you could be in the Beth Midrash all day long and not understand at all what Olam Torah is. You could be outside the Beth Midrash and do understand. So we have to know what it is. We have to know what it is. There's something in Olam Torah that may be difficult to understand even for those who are learning Torah. So he says, uh, he says the most astounding line. He says, and when are you outside Olam Torah? When is that? Which will help us, I guess, also know when, when you can get in. Listen to these words. Keshelo shimesh talmideh hachamim. Whoa. If you're not attached to great people, if you're not, not attached, attached doesn't mean you have their phone number on your phone. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that uh, you talk to them once every long, uh, very long wine. It doesn't mean. The word, they use the word shimesh. Shimesh means to serve. Serve means you're constantly making your way to be around them. When you're not meshamesh talmideh hachamim, then you're outside olam Torah. What does that mean? Let me explain to you what that means. Yesterday we spoke about Rabbi Akiva. How he found his ladder to greatness. When he said, this is the time I was meshamesh talmideh hachamim. The way the human mind works. So it's good to know this, by the way. Stam, just to keep it in mind. The way the human mind works, it doesn't understand the printed word. I mean, if I read a sentence, and the sentence says, the boy went across the street and got hit by a car. My mind, and not your mind, or anybody's mind, doesn't understand the story from the words. Words don't give you an understanding of what happened. In reality, what your mind does is it takes the word and it makes an image of it. Look, look, let me tell you the story. The boy went across the street and got hit by a car. What's your mind doing every time you hear a word? It makes a picture of a boy. You're imagining him across the street and then you're imagining a car hit him. Which means that in order to understand the written word, you need to be able to visualize what the word is describing. 
That's why some people, they struggle in comprehension when they read. They know how to read. They even understand the translation. But they have a hard time, or it takes them time to bring the picture up. They're like on slow motion. So by the time they process it, they're on already to the next sentence. So they, they're not to read. And they even understand the translation. But they're not picturing fast enough. Every time you read something, every time you hear words, the only way your mind understands what you're reading or listening to is when you're visualizing the word that the person is saying. You follow that? And that's very important information to know. Not just to teach people how to read and comprehend. But it's very, very relevant to this subject. You could open up a book called Mesilat Yeshari that we were learning and we'll continue to learn. It's a book of tremendous wisdom. Tremendous chokhmah that talks about so many areas of life that are so important to live by. Humility we were learning about. So important. Talks about patience. Talks about all types of beautiful attributes that you live with in your life. A person who learns Mesilat Yesharim is only reading words. What does he imagine humility looks like? What does he imagine kindness looks like? What does he imagine patience looks like? When you see a word that says humility, what picture comes into your mind? Well, you're going to be limited by the pictures that you've been around. You can't see more than what you've seen in your life. So that means you could learn the whole book of Mesilai Shari and never really understand what he's talking about. You could learn the whole Torah and all of its principles. Torah at the end of the day, Torah is only letters. It's black ink on parchment. You can't really understand anything based on letters. You're going to have to go and visualize what the letters are talking about. But guess what? For most people, their visual understanding of such beautiful concepts is very limited. Because they've seen a very limited practice of humility. So when you read about humility, what picture comes into your mind? Someone in your life who you think is humble. But nowhere near what that concept is talking about. Why is it important to have shimush talmideh hachamim? What's so important that takes you from outside the Torah to inside the Torah? Because finally, you're able to understand what you're learning. Because you're seeing somebody who's actually living the words that you're learning. And when you see that, you have a different understanding of where you need to be. You see a person 
one thing you should know in life is that every person thinks they're good. Everyone thinks they're a good person. And somewhere in their life, they are good. But never do they realize that there's so much more. Just yesterday, I was talking to somebody who is an older person, never learned Torah in his life, never learned, never saw a reason to learn. Starts learning Torah every day. He said, I can't believe it. After only a few months, I feel I learned so many things that have enriched my life that I never even knew about before. And that's only after three months, four months, five months. He said, I realized today that there's so much more that I don't know, that I need to learn. It's amazing that a person could never learn and feel like he's not missing anything. He feels like there's no world that's going to be better or different than where he is. Then all of a sudden, he's he starts spending time with people who are in Olama Torah and he gets to see what marriage looks like. You know, in the days of old, people would look to serve a great person, a great man or a great woman. For what reason? Why do you need to serve them? Why do you just hang out with them? Let's go uh, for a walk with them. No. Because when you don't have a specific reason to be there, you miss out on a lot of the action. When you serve somebody, you're going to see them in different situations that you would not be able to see them if you made a date to go with them. Let's go. Can I come talk to you today? So you're going to get a limited visual experience of that person's life. You're going to be able just to hear what they say. But when you serve them, that means one day they need you to come and pick something up from them to deliver to somebody else. Oh, you mind coming over right now to take this item? All of a sudden, you walk into their house as is, not prepared for you. There's no meeting with you. Don't no, people have meetings in their home? They're well prepared. First of all, they clean everything, making sure everything is spotless, even though the place is usually a mess. But for you, spotless and of course they wear whatever they feel is most appropriate for the meeting of course their emotions are very calm even though five minutes before they were screaming and yelling at everybody in the house but when you came in you say wow what an atmosphere over here beautiful it's clean it's misudar it's calm everybody's smiling over here Follow? That's what happens in a world that has a, uh, uh, an anticipation of something. But when you serve the great person, you get to see raw footage. You get to see a real marriage. You get to see a real home. You get to see people in their real life 
and how they're talking to each other. You get to see so much of the back office that usually people, they don't put on display. You get to see real life. When I see you, when you see me, it's not real life. Your, your real life is behind the wall, behind the curtain. We only allow each other to see what we want each other to see. We don't let people in into our lives. Unfortunately, we don't because it's probably a dark side to the lives that we lead. So therefore, we only open the stage when we want people to see what we want to show them. But the minute it's not so comfortable, we close the curtains. When you serve a great person and you look to say, can I drive you somewhere? Can I get you something? I have a business deal. I want to talk to you about it. You want to be a partner with me? You want to help me with this? All of a sudden, you serve to tell me, what happens to you? It's not the things in between that are important. Is that it gets you inside the person's olam. It gets you inside his world. And all of a sudden, you're seeing things. And then when you open up Mesilat Yesharim, and he says something, he's, oh, I know what that is. I saw it. I witnessed it. You go to a class about marriage. You say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I saw what that is. I witnessed it in my own life. I once said over a story, a beautiful story. But just to give you an idea of what it's like to be in such a home. There was a great rabbi here in America, believe it or not. I forgot his name at the moment. It's not important. He's a great man in Rosh Hashiva. And he got older. His wife was not so well. He got a little older. And there would be every day a boy from the yeshiva that would come to serve the rabbi. Which means he would help him. He would break, you know, he needs to walk somewhere. He needs things. That was... They wrote it. It was a zechut for them, not a, not a punishment. It was a merit to be able to spend time with the rabbi. So one time, I, I, I mentioned this story, I think, once to you. One time, this one of the boys that was serving the rabbi was on his way to a date. So he got dressed in a suit. Looks nice. The rabbi says, you look nice today. Where are you going? Says, I'm going on a date. He says, you going on a date? He says, why are you wearing white socks? Who wears white socks today? Wearing white socks. So the rabbi says those words. And the boy starts to stare at the rabbi's socks. The rabbi is also wearing white socks. He says, rabbi... It's not maybe nice to say, but you wear socks, white socks all the time. He says, you're not like me. What do you mean? He says, you see, my wife is not so well, and her eyesight, it's hard for her to see, especially when it comes to differentiating between light colors. 
He says, in the sock drawer, I have navy, I have black. If I'm going to start to wear those socks, it's going to be hard for her to match the colors. So I wear white socks to make her life easier. Can you imagine that? Now, just an example of what it means. So you talk about sensitivity in marriage. Sensitivity to a person's pain or their feeling. So what does that mean when you read about it or when you hear about it? Oh, you translate it according to, oh, oh, you thought of her birthday. Sensitivity. Then all of a sudden you go serve the great person and you see a whole new level of sensitivity. You see a person, for example, I'll give you another story. You have, it, there was a great, great rabbi, his name was Rabbi Shmulevitz. Alaba Shalom. He was the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir in Israel. He was one of the people, you know the famous story, when they escaped Europe to go to Shanghai and they were there for some period of time. He was a student in Shanghai and then eventually moved to Israel and became a Rosh Hashiva. He became a very famous Rosh Hashiva. He was a big tzaddik, a big gaon. So one of his friends from the old days in Shanghai, who became a regular businessman, this going 40 years later, you know, he, he keeps hearing about his buddy, his friend, Chaim Shmulevitz. So he's in Israel. He decides, is it a call him? Have a get-together. A little uh, reunion. He calls up Chaim. It's Chaim to him. Doesn't Chaim, you know, this is so long time. It's good to hear from you. He said, well, I'm in town. I'd love to see you. He says, of course. He says, why don't you come for lunch tomorrow? Okay. Beautiful. He comes to lunch by Chaim Shmulevitz. The Rebbitzin serves the soup first. He's eating the soup. Now, he remembers of Chaim Shmulevitz in the old days in yeshiva. He was a matmid. Matmid means he didn't stop learning. A matmid is a guy who can't put the book down while he's eating. Like he's eating and he has to learn. He, he was a man that didn't waste a second. This is his memory of his friend of Chaim Shmulevitz. Chaim Shmulevitz, right? I saw, by the way, Chaim Kanievsky, you just mentioned him. I was once there. Someone took me to his house on, without uh, uh, an appointment. Happened to be he was eating dinner. What a great moment it was. It was probably the greatest visit. I went there many times, but that was the best time. He was having dinner. I remember sitting down. I remember, I remember visually. He was sitting down. He had a bowl of tomatoes and cucumbers. That was whatever he was eating. And while he was eating, he had these letters piled up like this high on his desk. And there was somebody next to him opening the letters and reading all the questions that people were asking him. All halakha questions. People worked for days to understand a certain question, how to ask him. And he's sitting there and he asked him the question. He's listening. Can. He was like, yes, you could do it. Law. He gives it. Um, that, that was his dinner. Anyway, this is his, 
his memory of his friend Chaim from the yeshiva days. He comes there. He's sitting there having lunch with him. The wife comes. She serves the, the soup. He takes two little spoons of the soup. He goes, mmm, wow. Tells his wife, Rebbitson, what did you put in the soup today? It's very good. Wow. I don't remember it like this. He keeps eating. He goes, mmm, amazing. This guy's watching his old friend Chaim. He said, what happened to this guy? Used to be a guy's focused on Torah, all of a sudden he's saying, mmm, there's food. He tells his wife, please, you have any more of that? Get me another bowl. Of course, of course, Chaim. She gives him another bowl. Another, you have another one? Please. It's so good. This guy said, what happened to this guy? It used to be something special. The guy became a, I don't know what he called that in English. A glutton. After the soup, she brings the food. What'd you make today? What do you have? Again, comments, eating. For 25 minutes, the man is sitting there eating with all. He can't take it anymore. He tells them, time. What happened to you? I remember the image of Chaim in Yeshiva. The holy Chaim. The, the one who didn't take a minute to eat. And you're going, mm, what are you doing? He told, so let me explain something for him. He says, I prepare for shiur, to give shiur in the yeshiva. Sometimes I prepare four, five, six, seven hours. Boys are learning for hours. I have to come give them a shiur. Got to give them something on the sugya that we're learning. He said, and finally I come to the shiur that I prepared for and I give it over. He says, what do you think is a big pleasure for me after I give my shiur? Imagine after I give my shiur, the whole place packs out and goes away. He said, you know the great pleasure of the shiur after the boys come over? Rabbi, what did you mean by that? I don't understand what you were saying. Oh, I have a question on what you said. Boys come over, right? I love that point. Wow, I was stuck. When I learned that, I was stuck on that. You answered it. Thank you so much. He says, the pleasure I get from the boys who come over after I prepared my shiur to share with me is such a pleasure. It makes everything worthwhile. He says, I want you to know something. He says, my wife's shiur is lunch. Says she went, she bought the potatoes, she bought that, she did that, she put... He says, her shiur is the lunch that she made. And I need to give her that same feeling that my students give me. Because that's her happiness and her pleasure. Can you imagine that? Now, what does it mean to be grateful in the home? Say, be grateful to your wife. Oh yeah, it means uh, to say thank you. All of a sudden, you enter because you serve it, so you happen to be in the house that day, and you saw what's going on. Say, whoa, that's, that's, wow. I never even knew 
that that was a possibility. I had no tziur or musag, as he said. I had no even a visual understanding of what that meant. The thickness of the wall between outside and inside is very far. Don't think because you read a word, you get it. Don't think because you're, you're learning Gemara, you got it. You could read the most beautiful things. If you're not close to a Talmud HaKam who is living it, you have no idea. That's what it means when he says it's so thick. It means that you could learn it, you could see it, and you don't understand it. That's, that's exactly right. In the spiritual world, if you don't see it, see it, even if you learn about it, you won't understand it. And I'll leave you off with the last line that made a very big impression on me many years ago. And I hope that it makes an impression on you. To me, when I heard it, just when I got married, just when I got married, I heard this piece. And when I heard it, it was like a, was a, like a life transformation. How to explain? By the way, years later, they printed a book. They have it in the stores. They have a book in the stores called like the greatest uh, speeches in Jewish history. And I bought it and I'm just looking through it. And in there was that speech. I was so satisfied that I didn't just pick something, you know, it's, it's something recognized, beautiful. Rav Shlomo Zalman Auerbach, Zecher Tzadik Levracha. It's a very big person, big person in so many ways. He's a Rosh Hashiva, he's a big time Hakam, very sweet person. And what I heard, it was him speaking by his wife's Levaya. His wife passed away a year before he passed away, the age of 80 and one. And he spoke at her Levaya. And after he spoke, he says, my dear wife, it is customary that during the Levaya, that the relatives ask forgiveness of the deceased. He says, but my dear wife, we've been married for 60 years. You and I both know that I have nothing to apologize for. The only thing I apologize for is that maybe you died early because of my Averot. And I heard that, I'm saying, what's that? 60 years? He has nothing to apologize for? People can't go 60 seconds without having to apologize. Maybe 60 minutes. And probably when they're sleeping. 60 years? The man has nothing to apologize for. You understand? 60 years. And this is where he's saying it in the Levayah. This is a, a very sensitive place. You don't lie in the Levayah. I have nothing to apologize for. I remember when I heard that, I said, wow. I never imagined such a level. What, what is that? That's called Shimush Talmideh Hachamim. He's telling you, a person who hasn't been close in the real lives of great people can never imagine the things that he's reading, what they are. He has no idea. He's in a similar world, at least he thinks, but he's nowhere close to the olam that that person lives. That home is a different world. Nothing to do with the home you live in. Not even close. This is the value of shimush talmideh hachamim that we learned yesterday. We said get a bit of from the rabbi. That's what you're doing. 
you're getting closer to him but in a real way in a real way will make a huge impact on your life